Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. And before we start off the show, we got a shout out show sponsor, BioCult. Their boosted product is a multi-strain probiotic with four times the concentration of their original formula. That's why I like this one. It packs a good punch. All of their probiotic strains are backed by clinical research. It really makes a great everyday probiotic. I heard from a listener recently, this stuff has changed me, she said. So it's great stuff and there's no need to refrigerate it. So really handy to have around and to travel with, which is always a good idea. If you're like me, your gut gets a little cranky when you travel, when you're off your normal routine. So taking a probiotic can help with that. It can also, those capsules can be pulled apart. So you can give it to your kiddos by sprinkling it into their yogurt or their um, oatmeal. I put it into a little shot glass with water and Hattie shoots it back. So if you want to check out that probiotic, head to their website using the link in our bio. Use code FUNK15 to save 15%. Hey there, friends. Uh, Last week's show, we talked about the importance of a whole foods diet and the downstream effects that our Western diet has created on um, our health and on the health of our kiddos and on, you know, the cost of healthcare and so on and, and so forth. And I promised you that I didn't want to just share that information as a fear tactic, but I also want to build upon that um, with actionable steps and ways to simplify healthy eating because this is something that a lot of us are aware that we that we should be doing but we have obstacles and we have roadblocks and one of those things is time and overwhelm. So today on the show I have Cassie Joy Garcia and she's going to talk about her dinner fix solutions and I just think that this is a great starting conversation for folks who are just feeling just quite frankly overwhelmed. But it's an important conversation because so much of what I discuss here on the show over the past four years is predicated on the idea that we are eating whole foods diets. That is, as I discussed last week, is what I consider one of the non-negotiables of building out the foundation of our health house. It's really hard to layer on top of a uh, cracked foundation, so to speak. So I hope that this episode brings you some great ideas. I was kind of going into this being like, yeah, I probably this will be great for my audience, probably not something that I'll take a, a lot of ideas out of because I'm already somebody who loves to cook. I cook every meal from scratch and I enjoy it. It's, it's part of my creative process and my stress relief. Um, but I actually walked away with some, some really good ideas. So I know that you will too. Cassie Joy Garcia, she's the best-selling author, officially a New York Times best-selling author of Cook Once, Dinner Fix. She's also written other books, uh, Cook Once, Eat All Week, and Fed and Fit. 
And she's the creative force behind the popular food blog, Fed and Fit. We'll talk about that a little bit um, because as a fellow entrepreneur, I was really geeked out. She's built this incredible business. It's been really fun to watch the evolution of it. So I wanted to, I wanted to get into um, the ins and outs of that a little bit. So if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur or a goal setter, I think you'll enjoy the first part of our conversation. And then we dive into lots of the... Um, lots of the food and dinner conversation that her cook once method is, is kind of revolutionary in the way that, uh, she gets people into the kitchen cooking meals without feeling totally crazed and overwhelmed. So listen to the show and enjoy it. Welcome Cassie. I'm so pumped to have you on the show. This is going to be such a great episode. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. The, the, this show is really um, a lot of high level stuff. That's kind of what it's morphed into over the, the past four years as somebody who practices functional medicine and then trains clinicians to do similar stuff. We, we end up talking about high level stuff, but all of that high level stuff, I always try to remind people is kind of predicated on the, the assumption that you're doing the basics and the foundation, which is eating well. Um, and sometimes I am like, so focused on like zooming into the big picture stuff or like the big high level stuff that I forget that, like, we need to like regroup and reground and get people eating and cooking dinner is a really big thing that people struggle with. Um, so I'm really excited to talk with you and give people strategies to walk away from this episode about like how they can actually create meals for their family that they feel good about. Before we do get into anything food related, I want to congratulate you. I know that you just hit last week, I think New York times best selling author. So we have to just take a moment to celebrate that. Thank you so much. Yes. is a dream come true. I really, I still have a hard time believing it. <laughs> Listen, as a fellow entrepreneur and as a fellow goal setter, I do, and I know I have a lot of business owners that listen to this show. Talk me through, you had did a post that I resonate. I like sent it to a bunch of people because I'm like, I need to hear this. But you had this huge goal, which is like the big goal, right? And it, you had talked about like, at, it looked like it wasn't going to happen. And then you kind of just let go of the goal. Can you talk me through that process a little bit? Totally. Yes. So it's been a goal of mine. I actually, this is probably more story than you really are bargaining for. Um, but 10, a little over 10 years ago, I worked as a part-time Lululemon educator. So on the floor there at Lululemon and, uh, part of being, uh, at, at Lululemon was intense goal setting, which was right up my alley. I was like, I, I captain, I'm all over this. And so we wrote these one five and 10 year goals. And I'm actually working out fed and fit with a colleague of mine from back in the day. She just came on board here. And I was like, you won't believe what I wrote on my 10 year goal there. Lindsay I was like, but I wrote become a New York times bestselling author. And that was before fed and fit had started just before I started it months later. Um, I had no idea what category I probably couldn't have told you would be a cookbook. And so, you know, time goes on five years later from that point, I write my first book and publish it and learned a lot. And then my second book, um, and then this third one, and it's always, you know, I think the fact that it hadn't happened for so not what felt like so long in my career. Um, and I'm still a young author. I'm 35, you know, to be able to have a lifetime professional accomplishment at that stage in my life. Um, but it felt like 
maybe it wasn't, I was, I had this realization before cook once dinner fix came out where I thought, you know what? It's not about these goals that I set a decade ago. That's not what it's about, what it's about. And the reason I do this work is so that it can help people and it can serve people. Like that is why we pour so much time and energy into fed and fit and these books and resources. And so I just essentially was an attitude check because I really thought that it wasn't going to happen. I had set these pre-sale number goals in order to get attention from industry is how, you know, pre-sale goes for books is if you pre-sale a certain number of copies, then big buyers in the industry will say, oh, looks like folks are interested in this one. And then they want to go ahead and place an order and distribute your copies in various stores. And so we had these aggressive goals, but these goals were also matched up with what, what I thought would give me a good chance at the list. And so I did, I wasn't like, I wasn't hitting those goals. The book is still doing remarkably well. So I feels very out of my hands. Um, the book is still doing remarkably well, but I wasn't hitting those numbers that I had prescribed and, or that I had determined in the time that I thought I needed. And I was a little disappointed, but I thought, you know what, it's not what it's about. It was such a good moment for me to recenter and re-remember why I'm doing this work. And I focused on that so much. So to the point that I forgot the day that the list was coming out. And when my agent called me, I was genuinely like, oh my gosh, is everything okay? What did I do wrong? Why are you calling me right now? It's a little bit of that guilty conscience kicking in too. Yes. She's like, I'm going to patch Justin through. And I was like, okay, and this is my editor. I thought now I'm really nervous. Did I do something wrong? <laughs> well, that is so awesome. And such a good take-home message for anybody that's setting goals in any capacity. I had something very similar happen last spring. It was a very big launch for my business. And I was so focused on the numbers, which normally I'm not at all, but I'm like, let me, I'm growing my business. Let me focus on strategy and numbers. And, and it was so stressful <laughs> that I had to just like stick a pin in it and come back to like, why am I doing this? Why am I offering this? Who am I here just to, sh to, sh to show up for and serve? And uh, that changed the game. And I ended up blowing my goal like way out of the water, but it was from this place of like, why am I doing this versus like, this is the goal just because it's yes. the goal. Um, okay. And then for those, we're going to talk about the, the real reason that I have you here is to talk about Cook Once, Dinner Fix, your new book, because this is going to really revolutionize the way that people approach cooking dinner. Um, but I would, for those folks who might not be familiar with your work, can you just give us a bit of a background on what you do? You have stuff all over the place. You have Fed and Fit, you have your own, you know, there's like blogs and books and just kind of summarize what you do. Yes. I like to think of myself in the shortest version as a problem solver in the kitchen, primarily, and in the home, safer living, wellness, things like that. Um, I'm a holistic nutritionist uh, by training. And I, that really be, I went and pursued that after starting Fed and Fit and I had readers asking really great questions. And I thought, gosh, I want to help. I want to see what answers I can provide you with. And I have since transitioned as, so I've been started Fed and Fit 10 years ago um, as a personal blog. And that still is where you're going to find the grand majority of our content. So we have over a thousand free recipes there and resources. And that's where we test drive things like the cook once method, for example, um, and have those available for readers to see if try on for size and see if it solves that dinner problem that we're all seeming to face at the same time. And then, and that pretty much is it. So it's between fed and fit. And then, um, my books, the third one that just came out. 
So I, um, did you, when you started your blog, was it primarily paleo? Yes, it was. And, do you, and you've transitioned a little bit away from that, or this is just me, like my, my perception, but is that true? Yes. Yes, it is true. I remember the first day because, you know, the nature of a blog, because it tends to follow the person, right. And how their life evolves. And so, for example, I've since had two children about to have my third. And so it's like some parenting and motherhood content is being, is folded in now, but also as I had healed my body early on in my blogging days and paleo was instrumental in helping me really get to the bottom of some chronic health issues that I had in my early twenties. And I found that once I had really healed pretty thoroughly, I was ready to do some reintroductions and my, my nutrition philosophy then and now is the goal is to eat as abundance as, as many things as we can not necessarily whittle it down to the four things that we know are going to be the most benign <laughs> to our bodies and be like, I just eat blueberries and <laughs> butternut squash <laughs> and bison. Um, and so as I started exploring and folding in more foods again and dairy, I remember when I first published my first recipe on the website that called for cow's milk cheese, not goat cheese, not Buffalo or something low casing. I was like, going there. I thought they're, they're going to they're going to come after me with pitchforks. <laughs> People are going to lose their damn minds. They are. And it didn't, of course, my readers were like, you like cheese. I like cheese too. <laughs> well, I can, I know that that's not always the norm for bloggers. Like once they put themselves in this category, if they deviate from that, people really do lose their damn minds. So yes. that really speaks to your audience. I think it does. Of- of a real nice, solid community, <laughs> accepting community. <laughs> um, how do you get, I, I, I do, I do, this is like total selfish questions, like about your business and then we'll move into food. You have content everywhere. Like how does that become overwhelming? Or, I mean, how do you atomize your content? How do you get content anywhere? You do newsletters, you write books, you have a blog, you post things on social media. Like at what point are you like, help? <laughs> I need help <laughs> constantly. It's constantly overwhelming. <laughs> oh, and I'm here for these questions. You keep it coming. Um, I, it, it is, we have, uh, essentially four main content vehicles. And I used to have a podcast, um, and we had 200 episodes on the fed and fit podcast. And then I had a year of a podcast, a, a business related podcast. And we got to the point where I had to get off the hamster wheel, um, somewhere in a corner. Um, and so that I could figure out how do we share content across multiple platforms. And so I do, I, I cry for help. And then that's when I started hiring people and people much uh, more organized and with attention to detail than me came in and can look at and say, okay, we have, um, gosh, Oh, if I'm doing a series on, um, safer home products, cleaning products, uh, in your home, and that's really only meant for social media, they say, well, let's just add a little bit more copy. It takes maybe two hours more time of a copywriter and then publish that on the website. And it becomes then where we can anchor this content and then mention it in, in a newsletter. And so essentially these, these pieces of content start complementing one another versus, um, pulling my attention in all these different directions. And we're getting ready. I don't know if you've ever heard of a website called YouTube. Um, <laughs> it's the Y-O-U-T-U-B. <laughs> we're getting ready to uh, really throw in uh, in some big 
big energy into a YouTube channel and it feels like another content vehicle, but at the end of the day, we're taking our best recipes and just bringing them to life in video. So trying to think about not reinventing the wheel every time we produce content for another vehicle or another vertical, but how can we repurpose what we've already got? Oh my gosh. And I feel like your work lends it so well to video. So that's going to be really exciting for people. I hope so. I'm really excited. I was like, we've got the space. It was such like a, I can't believe it took this long for the light bulb to come on in my head. I was like, we've got the studio kitchen. This, our dream videographer became available wanting to join the team. I was like, let's make it happen. I am about to have a baby. It'll be fine. Totally fine. <laughs> totally. Hey, you've done it two times before. It's yes. all hot now. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, the, the video is like a whole other beast because of production you know, so I, I get the, the dragging your feet, but I am stoked that you're there because it's going to be phenomenal content. I'm sure. Um, all right, let's transition into, um, meal prep and food. A friend of mine sent me a bunch of screenshots from this local mom's group Uh when it was like across the board, like, what do I make for dinner? What do I make for dinner? Holy shit. I have to cook dinner again. What's happening? Dinner, dinner, dinner. Like people are coming undone about this idea that they have to make dinner every night. (laughs) And I don't mean to say just moms. I mean, everybody feels that way. It just happened to be a mom's group that these came from. So I am somebody who loves to cook and I get excited to cook every day. It's like a stress relief for me. Um, I mean, I grew up like doing my homework, watching Emerald Lagasse, like kicking it up a notch, but I totally understand that that's not the norm for most people. And so Let's talk approach to dinner, uh, especially if you're, you know, you're a parent or you're a caretaker, you've got kiddos like going every which way after school, the sports, like how, how do we wrap our heads around this? Where do we start? That's such a good question. And I want, if anyone else is feeling that way, I am with you. I'm in, I'm in that bucket of dinner feels overwhelming. And, and it wasn't always that way for me. Um, it, but it is in this season of life, especially with small kiddos at home. Um, So I think that the first place to start to answer your question succinctly is days in advance, if you can, right. And we're not talking about dinner tonight. I'm not talking like when we're like dinners in an hour and I've had, I had that night last night, so I get it. Um, but I'm saying let's pause, put a pin in it and think, what can we plan for in the days to come? And so I'm a big fan of meal planning, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be meal prepping because that's a big buy-in, right? That's a lot of time and energy and effort that goes into and scheduling that goes into meal prepping, but meal planning, I think can make a huge difference. That is a really important distinction. Cause honestly, when I think about meal planning, I immediately think about meal prepping. I hate meal prep. I won't do it. I can't do it. Didn't don't want it. Don't need it. Didn't ask for it. Keep it away from me. <laughs> My best friend on the other hand spends every Sunday prepping her entire week's worth of food and loves it. You know, she's like order. She likes makes yes, no checklist, Excel spreadsheets. She loves it. I am not that way. So what's, can you differentiate what, like what's meal planning versus actually meal prepping? So meal planning and I'm, and I'm with you, I'm in your camp. I, even though I have a meal prep book, I felt like it was the answer to folks who were spending six hours prepping on a Sunday, for example, and then, but they wanted less time. And so cook once eat all week. My second book was the answer to that solution. Whereas cook once dinner fix is how I cook in my own home. And there's no meal prep required in advance. We essentially prep for the next meal while we're making the current one. 
And, but meal planning is usually what I like to do on a Saturday or, or even if you can carve out, if you work, for example, um, before you officially leave your office, whether your home office or your visual or your, um, out of the office, home office, goodness gracious, sit down and write down what you want to have for supper in the week to come. And it's that simple. It's literally saying, what are we going to eat in the days to come? And for example, what this looks like in my house is, so there's seven nights in a week, right? Apparently we have to feed them every day. <laughs> and Sundays is, uh, I don't plan for Sundays because I do a Sunday family dinner with my parents, right? So that, that night's checked off Fridays. We usually do a pizza night or something of the sort, some kind of takeout. And then I know I'm going to do spaghetti and red sauce at some point during the week, because my children, it's such an easy win. That leaves four dinners left. So that means I have to plan for four meals and just writing down what I'm going to make. And I actually do this dinner series concept that's in dinner fix by writing. I choose two dinner series, which gives me all four meals. And I write those in, I alternate the days. So we're not eating chicken, chicken back to back and then beef, beef, right? We can alternate between the nutrients. And, and then I know what my shopping list is. I know what's for supper. Um, I know when I'm going to go get my groceries and that bird, that weight of scrambling for what's for supper tonight is so much lighter. That burden is so much lighter because I've just jotted down what I'm going to make in advance. So, you know, somebody like on a Saturday or Sunday, they're writing things down and then are they referring back to your book? Like for example, cook one's dinner fix for recipes of like, okay, so this is what I want to make. Here's the actual ingredients that I need to purchase for it. Exactly. Yes. And so what I do is I flip through, I mean, in some ways, I'm really glad this book is helping other people, but in a lot of ways I did it so I could have it. (laughs) Um, Because like I said, this is how I cook in my own home is I will make like a big beef roast, more beef roast than my family needs. My family doesn't love same meal leftovers. So it's not like I also roast extra potatoes with that beef roast so that we can have a repeat of the exact same meal. I make just the right amount of potatoes we need extra beef roast. And then I shred that leftover beef and turn it into, I just flipped open to shredded beef tostadas, a totally different meal on two nights later, for example. And so what I do is I flip through the book, grab the ones, flag the ones that I know my family will love, write down the page numbers. And then when I'm ready to build my shopping lists, I, we actually have shopping lists on uh, the website for folks who just want them organized already by grocery store. It takes a type A person to think of these things. So I've got you covered. (laughs) Um, you know, instead of an ingredient list is listed by when you need it in a recipe and a shopping list is listed by when you need it in the store. Um, and so those shopping lists are available. And then hopefully it's just, you, you grab that list. And if you're ordering your groceries online, still you type it in or you go to the store and you take it with you. And it really is that simple. And I have found that, and I have this written in the book that I think that when it comes to dinner, those of us who are feeling constantly overwhelmed, constantly burnt out, like we're constantly playing catch up and can't quite get ahead. I think we're overcomplicating dinner at the end of the day. I think it's overcomplicated. I think that if we just trim it down a little bit, simplify where we can, we can still serve our family something healthy and homemade that they will enjoy that doesn't take all day to prep. And we're going to quickly interrupt this discussion to shout out one of our show sponsors. As a reminder, the support of our sponsors is what allows the Functional Nutrition Podcast to continue to pump out new content to you. So we always thank them. We hope that you support them too. Local friend, 
Coyote River Hemp Co. I've known the owner, Ryan, going all the way back to my health food store days over a decade ago. His company is committed to regenerative farming practices. Listen, not all CBD products are created equally, so make sure you are being a savvy consumer when you're purchasing CBD. I highly recommend their Coyote River 500 milligram hemp oil, and you can use that to titrate the dose up or down. We always recommend starting low and working your way up slowly over time. You can head to their website and use code FUNK10 to save 10%. That's coyoteriverhempco.com. I'm always looking for kind of quick and dirty ways to pack in extra nutrition, polyphenols, antioxidants, fibers for my gut, and even herbs for my stress response, like the more adaptogens, the better, which is why I use Organifi powders every day, several times a day. I love to put them into my water. This is great if you're one of those people that struggles to just get enough hydration, get enough water. And if you feel like water's really boring, these powders can zhuzh it up for you. My kiddo loves them. She feels like she's drinking juice. I also throw them into my smoothies just as a way to get some extra nutrition. My personal favorite is the red juice. So it has lots of different red powders Things like acai, cranberry, pomegranate, strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, all of those polyphenol-rich red and blue powders. And if you've listened to the show or you've seen me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about the benefits of these powders. They feed a very unique and particular type of bacteria in your gut called Ackermansia. Ackermansia is a keystone player. It's wicked important for keeping your gut healthy and strong. It prevents leaky gut. It also is very important for metabolic health and insulin signaling and controlling blood sugar. Now, unfortunately, I do a lot of stool tests on people and see that acromancia is low, sometimes even below detectable limits. That's a real bummer. Some of the bacteria in our guts are little piggies. They'll eat anything. And then some bacteria are more like snobby foodies that will only eat specific things. This acromancia bacteria loves to eat red polyphenols. So the more red foods you can eat, the better. And getting red powders is super important as well. So the red juice is something that you can grab super easy and it's low sugar. All of Organifi's powders are under three grams of sugar per serving. And most of them offer up fiber as well to counteract any spike in blood sugar. So highly recommend, I throw them in my smoothie so I can pack in a bunch of veggies without adding a ton of fruit that might spike my blood sugar. And I can still make them sweet and palatable. Go to Organifi's website, Organifi.com. You can click the link in the show notes. Be sure to use the code FUNK. It will save you 20% off of every single order you ever place. You get a good deal and you get to support all the good things in your body too. Do you have a, first of all, that the idea of shopping for what you actually need, again, not something that I do, but I think, but I hear so much, so much from clients and people that participate in my programs or listen to the show that they get super excited and they're like, this is the week that I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the healthy eating. I'm going to buy the veggies. I'm going to do it. But without a plan, they kind of come undone. So then they have like drawers of produce that they end up having to throw out, or it's just becomes this overwhelming thing. So I think if somebody's in that camp of like, I want to do it. 
it. I don't know what to do. I have like the, the, the willingness and the desire, but I just need a little bit more handholding. I feel like this approach would slot in seamlessly here. Yes. Absolutely. And that's something that is really important to me is how I develop these recipes is hopefully, hopefully you feel supported in that less waste journey. And it's, and it could be, yes, it's great in terms of our budget. Um, but it just the, the load of when you open up the refrigerator and knowing that what you see is what you're going to use is a relief. And what I have found a tip that I love to share with folks is getting started on dinner starts as soon as you get your groceries in your house. And, and I'm not talking about requiring you to wash and chop your vegetables. While that would be nice. I'm not saying that that's what you have to do, but you could, it's as simple as you probably have top of mind when you get your groceries into your home, you probably remember what groceries generally are destined for certain meals right? You know that that can of beans and the kale and the lime juice and the sour cream, those are all going to go into this chili verde, right? And so I say, let's keep those ingredients bundled, whether in a box bag or basket in your refrigerator, including the dry goods, including the canned goods, keep those in your refrigerator. So that again, when it comes time, it's Wednesday night and you're like, what? I know I was going to make this chili verde and you're looking to rummage for all these ingredients. All you have to do is pull out that bin and it gives you such a head start. What's that Netflix show home edit. Is that, am yes. I saying that? I feel like that's yes. some real home edit type type stuff right there. I, I bet those gals would love this approach. You got to get yourself on that show. That's your next step. <laughs> How to home edit your, your dinner approach. Yes. I also, you know, it's, it, it cuts down on the mental load too. My husband, like trying to be like the biggest support he can be. He's like, just, you know, I can cook dinner tonight. Just tell me what to do. Or like, I can go to the grocery store and get dinner stuff. Just tell me what to get. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand me conceptualizing the meal in my brain is the work. That's, that is the labor <laughs> that is, that's the tough stuff. So like, if you want to help, like come up with ideas. And I just feel like so many people, it's like decision fatigue. I started experiencing that a little bit when we were in lockdown of like, I'm so tired of food. I'm like tired. I'm like tired of thinking about it. Like I just, it, it's just the same. It becomes like, just like a burden to think about. And I, I feel like having a resource to say, okay, I'm going to map this out and plan this. It just cuts down on so much of that, like emotional nonsense. <laughs> yes. And hopefully it, it makes it more fun again. And I'm with you. I love to cook and I love to do these things. And I am also feeling that decision fatigue. I'm feeling that burnout night after night and being able to flip through a book and see a pretty picture for every recipe and say, Oh gosh, that looks good. And I know that the people I'm feeding are also going to like this flag it and make it. And if it feels doable, especially do that. I think that's definitely a way to lean in. And that's something you said about, um, your husband or a partner is asking for how they can help. Um, something that I found that's some stories that are coming out of folks who are using cook once dinner fix right now. And it's really an exciting accidental win in a lot of ways, but the way that these dinner series work is that meal one is when you would make the protein, whether animal-based or veggie-based protein for that first meal, right? And we cook more than we need. So let's say it is a ground beef meal, right? So we're going to make three pounds of crumbled ground beef. 
cook that down because it's not that much more work, right? To cook more ground beef when you already have the pan out and all the dishes dirty. You enjoy meal one. Uh, the dinner series that comes to mind right now is a, it's an enchilada casserole. So layers of tortillas and the ground beef. And then meal two is just going to be a stir fry teriyaki style ground beef dish with a bunch of vegetables. And we serve it over white rice. And if you have somebody in your home that wants to help in the kitchen, that second meal is very beginner friendly because the protein is already cooked. And that tends to be the part that really intimidates folks. It's more about recrisping it, applying a new taste or texture to the meat and, or to whatever the protein source is. And it tends to be such a great win and a way to divvy up the, the dinner responsibilities in a house. That's such a good idea. Scott keep, my husband keeps at like saying like, this is the year I'm going to start helping out and cooking. And not that he doesn't help out in other capacities, but like, I am like the captain of my own ship when it comes to my kitchen. (laughs) And that would be such a great way to task it out. One thing I want to throw in there, um, for listeners, because, um, before I forget, I am not a recipe follower following a recipe creates a lot of internal stress for me. For some reason, I just like, it's not the way my brain works. But having your cookbooks, like I will open to a page, I'll read, I'll see the beautiful photo, which will inspire me to actually try something different. I will read through the ingredient list. And even if I'm not following it to a T, I'm using it to create my meal based on it. So I want to shout that out in case somebody somebody doesn't like recipe books or doesn't follow recipes like myself. It's still a tremendous resource for you. Um, you said something about meat and I, I was a vegetarian for 20 years and I started incorporating animals back into my diet when, right after I had my daughter seven years ago, but I still feel like such a rook and such a novice when it comes to meat. Like it's very intimidating for me. How long after, and I'm like weird about leftovers. How long after you cook a animal protein, do you feel comfortable leaving it in the fridge? Great question. I say by the fourth day is when you need to enjoy that protein. Um, if you know that you're not going to get to it by day four, then I, as soon as it's cooled, then I say, pack it up and put it in the freezer. And then, and then there between three and five months, I think is a great way to use it up. And that's so helpful. (laughs) And then, um, I tend, since we, we shop for our animal proteins at farms, I tend to buy kind of in bulk a little bit and then freeze a lot of that stuff. And I feel like that, and I know a lot of listeners do the same thing. And I feel like that becomes a little bit of an, a hurdle because the defrosting, I don't know. Do you have any ways like tips to navigate that? Yes, I have a whole section. It's a, I mean, talk about an FAQ frequently asked question is how do I freeze and defrost? That is something that I get a lot. And so there's a huge section in the front of the book dedicated to it, whether it's a raw, uh, uncooked ingredient or a cooked and prepared ingredient. So all kinds of options for you. Um, I, and I also shop similarly is through like a cow share, for example, and things like that going through farmers. Um, I think that my favorite way to defrost is to take something and then put it in the refrigerator the day before you need it. And it depends on how large of a cut it is, right? If it's an entire brisket or in a huge beef roast, it's going to take a little longer to thaw um, versus a package of ground beef. Then that might thaw a little bit more quickly. 
Um, but I like to thaw in the refrigerator. That's going to be the safest. And if you're pinched for time, like so many of us are so often, you're like, gosh, I forgot to pull up that ground beef for that spaghetti and meat sauce. And I do it all the time. Um, the USDA recommends uh, defrosting in cool water, not hot water. Um, and you can actually rapidly defrost something on your countertop or in your sink or in a bowl with cool water, letting it sit there for about an hour. Oh, that's good to know. Sometimes we just pull things out and like, just leave them on the counter. I'm like, I don't think this is street legal. I do not <laughs> think this is serve safe certified. Um, so that's, that's a really helpful tip. Now, the other thing I want to talk about in, in, or shout out in your book is that it's not like, it's not exclusively like a gluten-free cookbook. Like any, anybody can eat, eat out of this book, but you give gluten-free options for every single recipe. So it absolutely can be gluten-free. Yes, it is. And actually the fun fact is I am gluten-free. So every photo you see in that book is a gluten-free dish. Um, and so all the gluten-free modifications are what you're looking at. <laughs> Perfect. And yes. Yes. And it's, you know, as a, as a nutritionist, that's just a, a switch in my brain. I cannot turn off is thinking about special dietary needs and requirements and wanting to make sure that my recipes are as inclusive as possible of folks who have those needs. And so we do, we have gluten-free in there, dairy-free, nut-free, egg-free, and the, and so on. And the modifications and substitutions that I list in there, I want folks to know are tested because if you've ever made I don't know, like a dairy-free mac and cheese or something online. You're like, oh, you can make this dairy-free and you make it and you think, did anybody test this before they wrote it? Because <laughs> it turned into gloop. And I think that that's just such, that's so disappointing. And that breaks my heart that you just wasted time and ingredients and money on it. So if there's a substitution listed, it's because it works. And so I want folks to know that. And then we have a dietary restrictions chart at the back. And this is also thinking about how do I problem solve for my readers who write in and say, I'm cooking three, three dinners every night because of taste preferences and dietary restrictions in their own home. And oh my gosh, I mean, if I just could give anybody a hug, it would be that person. I say, let's, let's boil it down to the lowest common denominator. And so hopefully a chart like that allows you to then scroll and say, oh, everyone can eat this and everyone will enjoy this. And I say, highlight those, even if it's just eight series in the entire book that, you know, everyone can eat and everyone in your family will really enjoy, especially if you have picky eaters, flag those and put those on repeat because you deserve an easy button. I love that. I, I love that idea. Um, oh, I just had a great question. This is it. You might not be able to answer this. So you have two children, a third on the way. Um, any tips for picky eaters? This is my, I have one daughter and she's not a picky eater. So this is, I, I have no help for people because I haven't had to go through it before, but I know, um, that it's a super duper common. And that can oftentimes be like the roadblock, like the main obstacle is like, yes, I want to feed my children, you know, these whole foods, but they don't like them. So how do we navigate that? It's such a good question. And we've been through ups and downs so far. This is working for my kids. And, you know, I try to be very hyper aware of the fact that I have two data points. That's it. Just so just for context, <laughs> if we're talking about sweeping generalizations of 100% of my two times, this has worked. <laughs> um, but 
what works for my family, especially when they're going through modes of being pickier is to always put something on their plate that I know they will enjoy. At least actually usually two things, especially if the meal that I'm serving them is new or pushing the limits. Um, and so that would be like a fresh fruit of some kind. My girls will, I know they'll gobble up any kind of fruit and then something else, maybe it's a piece of cheese or some, a vegetable that I know that they love, um, something that doesn't require me to prep, right? Cause I'm, again, I'm not going to be cooking extra meals. And then what I do is depending on what we're serving, I will serve it to my children deconstructed compared to what I'm serving my husband and myself. And I have found that to really help my children get over this. What is that vibe? Right. And so let's say if it's a bowl of chili, for example, um, you know, if I put a bowl of chili in front of my 18 month old or, and sometimes my three-year-old, they will look at it and be like, that's a mystery bowl. Like, I have no idea what's in there. I'm, I'm, I don't get it. I don't want it. Whereas my husband and I, we can have an intelligent conversation and be like, this is chili verde. You're going to love it. And he's like, oh, I sure do. (laughs) And so for the, for the girls, what I do is I'll scoop out the beans and put that in a little pot or a little place on their plate, scoop out the kale, put that in another little place on their plate and so on and so forth. And then after they try those components, then they get curious about my bowl. And then they get more curious about that meal experience. That's so interesting. I I mean, my Hattie is seven and I'm still sometimes doing that. Like she would, she would not most likely sit down and eat a bowl full of chili, but she would certainly eat the individual components. It's very, it's very funny. But then I sometimes think that like, I always try to encourage parents to not prejudge because mm-hmm. I, I mean, one day she'll eat something the next day she won't, it's like, it will change. But like the other night I made a butternut squash soup with cauliflower and bone broth, like real basic. And I put the basic one aside for her. And then my husband and my, I like added spice. I judged it up. I, you know, did all these fancy tricks. She blew through her bowl and she's like, what's that? I'm like, I don't know if you'll like it. It's spicy. And then she ate a whole other bowl. And I'm like, you know, you just can't plan for this kind of stuff. You can't. I love it. So I think just keep throwing things in front of them too, to, to keep getting that exposure. Okay. So last question that I have for you. Um, and I know that you kind of go over this in, in the book, but if you had to like break it down to bare bones, like somebody's telling you, I am overwhelmed with dinner. I need simple. Do you have like a basic template for people to think about following as a way to take the overwhelm out of cooking dinner? Yes. I think that what I want you to do, and this is again, going to boil down to planning. And so plan your planning time for when you have the time, right. (laughs) And you're not already overwhelmed. And so for me, for example, that's usually a Saturday morning. It's when my kiddos are happy doing something and I can sit down with a cup of tea or coffee and write things out. And in that time, whether it's leaning on a recipe book, for example, like cook on center fix, or just what, you know, works for you. I say, what is the easiest thing you can pull together this week and do that until your battery is more recharged. So if, for example, ground beef, grass fed ground beef is something that you feel very comfortable and confident cooking. I want you to double it. I want you to make twice as much as you need for the dinner that you want to prepare for your family tonight, and then store that cooked leftover. And then 
and then use that in another ground beef dish that you know your family will enjoy that's really easy to pull together for another night this week and lean on the things that are really easy and really approachable. There's no award, or if you're flipping through a book like dinner fix and you think I, for example, I have a duck recipe in there for the folks who want to go for it. There's no award though, for going for it. There's no, there's nobody out there. That's going to say you like you did. I mean, you can feel that way, but um, if you're already feeling like your, your tank is a little empty, I want you to go with what feels the easiest. And start with those. I want you to go with the things that feel really easy, really manageable, and like sure wins for your family. Um, especially if you have those picky eaters. What I because there's nothing like mustering the energy. You're exhausted. It's been a long, it's been a day, right? You muster the energy to pull this fabulous meal together to create a dinner time experience for your family. Maybe even you manage to plate it with a joyful heart, which I wouldn't say I do perfectly. And then all of a sudden your family's like, I don't like it, you know? And it's just, I don't want that for you. And so I say like really bake in some sure wins wherever possible and simplify wherever possible. That's super helpful. Um, and I think we can all, learn from that approach. So thank you so, so much for being here. I'll make sure that we link to all, you know, your, your latest book, your other two books, your blog, all that good stuff all over the interwebs because you're just about everywhere. Uh, congratulations again, super exciting accomplishment. And, um, I know that a lot of people will, will benefit from your book and from listening to this show. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.